0: Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's wonderful to see you here today on this fine fall day. Doesn't it feel fantastic outside? Oh, I know all of our California friends are shocked by this 40-degree weather change, but welcome to Texas. It gets a lot worse. Wait for that annual blizzard in March we all love so much. It's become a tradition. We are glad to have you if it's your first time here. My name's Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors. If you're joining us for the first time, first time in a long time, maybe first time at church ever, we're just glad that you're here And we hope that you feel loved and welcomed and wanted to fit right in and make yourself at home here today at the Vista. Before we jump in, I wanted to bring your attention to one important thing, and that is that we've got our annual For the City event coming up this next Saturday, Saturday morning. Uh, We start off here, and then we just go off into our city, and we just do some things for our city. We find ways to bless people and help ministry partners and all sorts of good stuff. There are projects that kindergarteners all the way up can help with. And so if you haven't signed up, please do that at the vista.tv city. And then in relation to that, one of the projects we have is cleaning up this property called 206 in East Temple. It's actually a property that our church purchased recently. We purchased it from one of our mission partners, Impact Temple over in East Temple, wonderful church. I know a lot of you have been over there and helped them with some different things. They weren't using the building, Uh, They asked if we wanted to buy it. We said, sure. So we, we bought it. We've got a team right now that's in the process of sorting out the best use of that space over there so that we can bless that community. And so we're in the process of just listening and cleaning it up. And we will let you know more as we know more. But we just wanted to make you aware of it because it's something we were able to do because of the generosity of our church and to be able to go and bless another part of our city. So more to come, but it's a really exciting development. Now, today, we are in the second week of a very short, but I, I think and I hope very important and helpful little series called Help, Sorry, Thanks, The Three Essential Prayers. And one of our elders, Larry, he did a great job getting the series started last week, didn't he? Oh, I love me some Larry luck. Larry's one of my favorite people in the whole world. I loved everything Larry had to say, except there were a few skinny jeans jokes made. And so I I took it upon myself this week to buy a pair of skinny jeans for Larry, and it turns out he looks great in them. I think we've got a picture of Larry in his jeans. I mean, look at that man. <laughs> He's got legs made for skinny jeans, and so I told him he has to wear those <whistles> next time he, uh, he comes and pritches. Uh, sorry, Larry. You started it, though. Uh, the series is based on the belief confirmed and affirmed by the saints throughout the ages that prayer is probably the single most important thing that Christians can do because prayer uniquely embodies and expresses what it means to really believe in God because so many of the things that we Christians do, they're good things, but they don't necessarily require you to really believe in God. Right. You, could, you could show up and listen to great music on a Sunday morning. I mean, there are worse ways to spend Sunday morning than listen to our band. And you can find like good friends and community and you can help out your, your neighbors and all that good stuff. But you don't necessarily have to believe in God to do any of those things. You could just do all those things because they make you feel good, you know? Makes you happy to listen to good music and find belonging and community and help people around you. You don't have to believe in God to do any of that stuff. But prayer, oh, prayer, prayer is really hard to do if you don't believe in God, isn't it? Because it just feels like such a waste of time. Because why would you waste your time firing these petitions and thoughts out into the ether so they can ricochet around the empty heavens if nobody is home? Why would you bother with that? And I get it, and I have had long seasons of near- prayerlessness in my life where I just could not muster up the willpower to pray because it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't pretend like it made sense. And yet when it comes to prayer, we have one of those paradoxical kind of chicken or the egg relationships wherein we pray because we believe in God. Absolutely. But also we, we believe in God because we pray. Make sense? All right, so in other words, prayer doesn't just express our belief. Prayer also creates and sustains and reinforces our belief. It's like if you have date night with, with a spouse, right? And I highly recommend it if you wanna stay married for the long haul. Um, if you have a date night, why do you do it? Well, you have a date night because you love your spouse. That's why you do date night. But you also love your spouse a little bit more because you have date night, right? Unless you have one of those date nights where you spend $200 to get in a fight and then spend $1,000 on therapy over the next month. Those are very fun, but in general, you get the idea. Yeah? You pray because you believe, yeah, but also you believe because... You pray and I think we mostly understand that and I think most Christians understand that prayer is important even if they find it personally difficult for for whatever reasons and there are plenty of good reasons and so what we're trying to do in this series is just kind of teach you three very simple prayers. Help, sorry, and thanks and we're calling these prayers the essential prayers because I think you can make a case that all the different prayers we might and can and do pray are really just variations on one of these three simple themes. In the Fisher household, uh, we have tried many different formats for prayer, because as it turns out, teaching your kids to pray is probably the hardest thing you'll ever do. Uh, and this is by far the one that our kids enjoy the most. Almost every single night, You know we'll every night pray with kids have And then we have them tell God sorry for something they did wrong that day. It's usually a very extended prayer time. Um... <laughs> And then we have them tell God thank you for something. Uh, Last week, Larry talked to us about how and why we should say and pray help. And so now today, we're gonna talk a little bit about why and how we must learn how to say and pray sorry. So if you have your Bibles, open We'll be in Psalm 51, basically right in the middle there. It'll be on the screen for you as well. We'll basically read the whole thing, verses one through 17, Psalm 51. This is David writing, Says, "Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only I have sinned and I have done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity." And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities." "'Create in me a clean heart, O God, "'and renew a steadfast spirit within me. "'Do not cast me away from your presence "'and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. "'Restore to me the joy of your salvation "'and sustain me with a willing spirit. "'Then I will teach transgressors your ways "'and sinners will be converted to you. "'Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, "'the God of my salvation. "'Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. "'O Lord, open my lips that my mouth "'may declare your praise.'" For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I'd give it. And you're not pleased with burnt offering. Rather, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 17. So in preparing for this series a few weeks back, I did a, a one-day speed read of all 150 psalms in the book of. Of Psalms, And one of the things that immediately jumps out in just even a cursory speed read is that there are a whole lot of help prayers in the book of Psalms, but there are very, very few sorry prayers in the book of Psalms. Time and time and time and time and time and time again, Israel would ask God for help. They said, God, please help me and deliver me from my enemies and maybe while you're at it, kill them and set their loins on fire. You know, Some version of that psalm, of that prayer, appears almost every other psalm in the book of Psalms because Israel was very comfortable asking God for help. Larry talked about that last week, it's a good thing. If you know God, then you know that God wants you to ask for help, so that's a good thing. Israel was very comfortable asking God for help. But it would appear as though Israel was not nearly as comfortable telling God sorry. In fact, out of the 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, only about seven of them are considered penitential or sorry psalms, seven out of 150. And I gotta be honest, I think that's being a little bit generous because a number of those allegedly sorry psalms are more... I'm sorry you feel that way, than they are I'm sorry, if you know what I'm talking about. And don't get me wrong, I like those psalms too. Those are some of my favorites. I'm sorry you feel that way, psalms. But grading on the stricter uh, Austin Fisher curve here, I think we have to admit that out of 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, only about four of them are truly penitential I am sorry, Psalms. So to frame the math another way, if the Psalter, if the Psalms are any indicator, Israel only spent about 2% of her prayers saying that she was sorry. And I gotta admit, when I realized this, it, uh, it occasioned a bit of judgment on my part. I was very disappointed with my Old Testament ancestors. But then I, I thought a little bit about what the analytics would say about my prayers. And I realized that, you know what? I don't like saying I'm sorry very much either. Anybody else? Like, I cannot be the only person who literally has a physical aversion to apologizing. When I am confronted with a situation where I need to apologize, y'all, yeah, my stomach drops and my chest tightens and my pulse quickens. And my very first thought, without fail, is what? How do I get out of this, right? How can I avoid apologizing in this situation? And I don't mean to brag, it's not polite to brag in public, but I just, I gotta tell you how it is. I am so good at finding ways to not apologize. It is, it is a gift. I will find a way where there seems to be. You no. Know I'm an apology avoiding Einstein. I can work all the angles, I see all the algorithms I can always find a way, and and I'm gonna assume from your reaction, I'm probably not alone in this, and I am uh, surrounded in this room by my fellow uh, apology-avoiding Einsteins this morning, and that might not be that big of a deal, whatever, we just don't like to apologize a lot. Fine. It might not be a big deal, were it not for the rather inconvenient fact that you and me are wrong, and in the wrong, all. The time. Turn the person beside you and say, hey, you're wrong, man. Tell them They need to hear, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm wrong, we're wrong, we're wrong, you're wrong. You are, you're wrong. Look, I try to find some stats on this. Some stats on how many mistakes human beings, all right, some of you can stop now. You can take it, I mean, we (laughs) get. Tell everybody. I tried to find some stats on this, on, on how many mistakes human beings make every day. Googled it. Turns out this is not a number you can come up with because the number is incomprehensible. Every single day you are wrong. You are wrong about the time the trash is picked up, the quickest route to school, the tone of the email, the interest rate on the loan, the intention of your neighbor, the propriety of the social media post. I wonder if everyone sees see this video of me working out. No, they don't, <laughs> ever. But I think, man, no. We never want to see it. And the people who do want to see it, you probably don't want to see it, okay? I'll let you figure that one out. Many of our mistakes, though, we make these mistakes every day. You make mistakes, I make mistakes. Many of them, they're not that big of a deal. They're just mistakes. It's fine, whatever. But many of our mistakes are a big deal. They're mistakes that are so serious that they require a different name. They're mistakes that we call sins. And for which you will need to learn to say, And to pray, I am sorry. Now, King David, uh, he had made one of those mistakes. It is on a very short list of the most infamous sins ever committed. You know the story well. David is a good man. He is. But he's also the king. And it is hard for kings to be good. Because kings have a tendency to think that they can take things that aren't theirs. It's an occupational hazard when you're king. You know, David's a good man, but he's the king. He's the most powerful person in the kingdom. And so he sees Bathsheba and he wants her, so he takes her. This is what kings do. And in taking her, he also takes from her, from her husband Uriah. He covers his tracks so meticulously, you know. Oh, he ties up all the loose ends and cleverly orchestrates Uriah's death so that he can keep what he has taken without consequence. But there is one variable For which David is not accounted. And that is the God to whom everybody is accountable. I love the way 1 Samuel 1. 1127 puts it, but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. And this Lord does indeed hold David to account, even King David. And this is the situation that occasions our psalm for today. Psalm 51, the prophet Nathan has confronted David with his great sin. And in this moment, David is confronted with the decision that will probably do more to define our lives than any other decision that you're going to make it is a decision that unfortunately you will have to make many many times over the course of your life namely having sinned because that's a given having sinned will you double down on your sin in denial and indifference or will you own it in confession and penance And we'll circle back to this, because I mean it when I say it. What you do when confronted with your sin is one of the, if not the, most consequential decisions that you will ever make, and it's a decision that you're gonna have to make more than once. Well, David was, like all of us, he was a complicated person. He committed some truly horrendous sins over the course of his life, and the special thing about David was not that he was an especially righteous person. If you've read David's story, you know that he was a bit of a scoundrel, right? He wasn't especially righteous, but rather the special thing about David was that he was especially willing to confess and repent. The special thing about David was not that he was especially good. He was not. The special thing about David was that he was especially good at confessing that he wasn't especially good. I tend to think that's why God chose David to be king, that David was especially good at owning his sin and confession. Thus, we have Psalm 51, the confession elicited by one of the most famous sins ever committed. When you read it, you immediately notice how total it is. You notice that? Right? David, he, uh, you know, he doesn't try to do any of these funny things where he, he tries to like shift the blame. David doesn't try to shift the blame. He doesn't go, well, yeah, I, I did it, but Bathsheba was wearing those yoga pants. Man, what am I supposed, to-? she's making her brother stumble. What am I supposed to, I'm helpless in the face of those yoga pants, it's her fault. No, he do not do that, nor does he try to equivocate. He do not go, well oh, yeah, I did it, but other people do bad things too. Jimbo Fisher's paying those Aggies all that money to go play football, let's talk about that, Lord. Apparently not enough money, but that's for another. No, I'm sorry. Sorry, I know, it wasn't a good day for Texas either. Um, No, David just owns it completely and fully. He owns it, all of it. He, He follows Benjamin Franklin's advice, though I suppose it actually would work the opposite way, right? That you should never ruin an apology with an excuse. That's good, I like that. And on a related note, another thing that jumps out is that since David has no defense, he's got nothing, his appeal is predicated completely on God's mercy. He uses three different mercy-inflected Hebrew words in the first sentence alone. We'll just go through them. All right, first one, he says, God, be gracious to me. This Hebrew word, hanan, is used a lot in the Psalms to refer to this plea that God might show us a mercy that we know we don't deserve. The second word, hesed, maybe the most important word in the Old Testament, is often translated loving kindness or steadfast love, and it refers to God's willingness to be faithful even in light of our unfaithfulness. Third word, rachamim, it carries this feminine sense of a mother's compassion, like the compassion that only a mom knows how to have for a child. David knows that he has nowhere to hide. He has no angle to work. He has no plea deal that he can make. And his only hope is in a merciful God. That's all he's got. any of you heard of this... uh, Spyware called Pegasus. Any of you know about Pegasus? Uh, I see the two conspiracy theorists in the room now. Just me and you, huh? Okay. We'll talk after. Well, if you're, you're not aware, Pegasus uh, is indeed the most sophisticated spyware that, so far as we know, has ever been created. It was created by an Israeli cyber arms group. Uh, It has been purchased discreetly by a few governments, including the US government, and it is capable of hacking your phone so completely that it gives the hacker access to everything. And when I say everything, I need you to understand. I mean everything. Text messages call logs, social media DMs, app DMs, passwords, internet browsing history, photographs and video. It can even secretly turn on your video camera and microphone and record you without you ever knowing it has happened. Did it just get hot in here? Anybody else just get hot all of a sudden? You just want to take your phone and, ah! everybody throw it against the wall on the count of three? That's kind of scary stuff, I know, that's scary stuff. But thankfully, we have all come a very long way when it comes to cybersecurity, right? And so we all know that when you get that email from the anonymous stranger saying, hey, click on this link and I'll give you $5 million, all you gotta do is give us your social security number. What do you do? You don't click on the link. If you're still clicking on the link at this point, you deserve that virus, okay? That is survival of the fittest, man. You gotta learn, gotta adapt. Can't be clicking on that link. Nobody trying to give you $5 million, come on. So all you do is you don't click on the link, right? We all know that, it's fine. Well, I'm afraid that this is where the news gets a bit bleaker. Uh, Because Pegasus is so sophisticated that a hacker actually doesn't even have to get you to click on or download anything in order to hack your phone with it. Simply put, if a hacker has Pegasus and wants to hack your phone, it's game over. There's nothing you can do about it. Not a thing, you don't have to click on anything. As one intelligence agent put it, people are always asking me what they can do to prevent this from happening. The real honest answer is nothing. Now thankfully only a few governments have the old Pegasus technology at this point, but well it's not gonna stay that way. Pandora's box has been opened and we should all be preparing ourselves for a future in which all of our deepest and darkest secrets are brought to the light. Happy Sunday. Um, So I was thinking about this the other day and I had this thought this very stupid thought that I'm real confident you've all had here's what happened I had done something wrong I I know that's shocking but just hang with me I'd done something wrong and I clearly owed somebody an apology, but as has already been very well documented, I do not like to apologize very much. So I was trying to find a way to avoid it. And I'm usually very good at this. I can usually always squirm myself off the old apology hook, but in this particular instance, I didn't know what to do. There's no way for me to squirm off of it. And so I decided that what I would do, instead of giving this apology that I obviously owed this person, what I would do instead is I would just commit myself to being perfect for the rest of my life. You ever done that? Because that could maybe even out the scales a little bit. You know, maybe if I'm just perfect for the rest of my life, then nobody will notice I didn't give this apology because I am such a stubborn, obstinate sinner that I would rather talk myself into believing that I could just be perfect for the rest of my life than I would give the stupid apology. So that was the plan. Then I listen to this podcast about the aforementioned Pegasus spyware and about how we should all be preparing ourselves for a future in which all of our deepest and darkest secrets are brought to the light. And I thought to myself, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, you boy's in trouble. Oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. Because I don't know about y'all, but man, I have done and said and thought some terrible things, terrible things. And I've tried to live an honest and accounted for life. I've really tried to do that. But man, nobody knows everything I've done wrong. I don't even know everything that I've done wrong. How could I? I have no doubt that if all those things came full to the light, I would be humiliated. So I know that and it makes me wanna clean up my act and get it all together. Better get it all together fast, man, before it all comes out. But as a person with a very long history of being me, I also know this is not a very good plan. Because if I had it in me to just get it together and clean it all up, I would have done that a very long time ago. And so I find myself in a bit of a situation here. And you, my friend, are right there with me. Because whether it's Pegasus spyware or the judgment seat of Christ, we are all approaching a future in which all of our deepest and darkest secrets and sins are brought to the light. And we do not have it in us to just clean up our act and get it together. And so what exactly are we supposed to do here about our situation? I know, I know. Well, Psalm 51 is not the only sorry psalm that David wrote. As I mentioned, he was a bit of a scoundrel, and so he had a few opportunities to write these psalms. In Psalm 32, he tells us what we should do when we're confronted with the burden of our sin. We'll read three verses from it, Psalm 32, verses three through five. David says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand, God, was heavy on me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of a Texas summer. Selah. Now, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Because if keeping all of our sin secret is not an option, and it's not, and just cleaning up your act and getting it all together is not an option, and it's not, then our only reasonable, sane option on the table is to become people for whom confession and penance is just the most natural thing imaginable. It's like a cup of coffee in the morning. It's like how's the weather? It's something that's just normal for us. It's a way of life. And I know that that is going to sound really awful to a lot of us, but deep down, I think we know that it is our only hope. I think we know we do not have any other options. One of my favorite uh, TV series of the past couple decades was called True Detective. Um, and there's this one episode where we discovered that one of the detectives, Russ Cole, that's McConaughey's character, he, uh, he's this master of eliciting confessions from people. So anytime Louisiana law enforcement needs to get a confession, they send in Russ Cole and he gets it. The very end, one of the other detectives finally asked Russ, like, hey, how do you always get people to confess to their sins? How in the world do you do that? What's your secret? I want you to listen to what he says. He says, look, everybody knows that there's something wrong with them. They just don't know what it is. Everybody wants confession, the guilty especially, and everybody's guilty. Now, modern culture is in a very weird place in regards to confession, apologies, and forgiveness. You've, you've probably noticed. Because on the one hand, we are the most, you know, lenient, permissive, laissez-faire culture like in the history of the West, the Wild West out there, man. Whatever, you don't need to apologize for anything, man. You just do you, and so long as you do and you doesn't involve you killing somebody else, it's all good, you don't need to apologize. So you got that going on, but then on the other hand, we can be so cruel and cold and mean about certain things. And we've all got our like certain sins that we've decided are the unforgivable ones, right? We can go down by name. Well, this, these are the unforgivable sins for conservatives. These are the unforgivable sins for progressives. Like we, we all know, we all got this, and we're so good at justifying either our lenience or our cruelty when it suits our. Purposes and it can all get really complicated. It, it, it can. It can all get very complicated. But I am of the stubborn opinion that the most important thing about you and me and our shared situation together is every bit as clear and simple as it has ever been. And the most important thing about you and me and our shared situation here together is that we, we, without exception or qualification, we are all sinners. And yet we are sinners in the hands of a very merciful God. That's the most important thing about our situation. Now this does not mean that sin does not have consequences. It does and it should. But it does mean that confession and penance, they have consequences too. Good, joyful, restorative consequences. And that's why every good classic Christian guidance on prayer or the spiritual life will tell you that you ought to start off your day with a confession of sin. Any good advice you get on the Christian spiritual life is gonna tell you, hey, you, you ought to start off your day with a confession of sin. Why? Well, because then as the day proceeds and you inevitably do something stupid or immoral, right? And sometimes those lines blur a little bit. You do something immoral and your inner defense attorney leaps up to your defense. You all have the inner defense attorney too, I'm assuming? Anytime you do something wrong, he just hops up and says, like, oh, wait, wait a minute, Your Honor, let, let me explain why, right, let's talk about Jimbo Fisher some more. You know? right, I mean, uh, let's not get this thing twisted. When your inner defense attorney, he jumps up and he starts trying to defend you, then the Spirit of God can confront your inner defense attorney with the good and happy news that his services are not needed because you've already confessed to all the charges. You start off today going, Your Honor, uh, guilty of all those things and many other ones you probably don't know about. And you know what's so awesome about that? Now you don't have to try to spend the rest of your day, waste the rest of your day trying to defend yourself. You thought how much of your time and energy you spend trying to defend yourself? Because right? you've already confessed to the charges and defending yourself, y'all. You know whose job that is? That is Jesus' job. And Jesus is very, very good at it. Amen. Now we're gonna give ourselves a few moments to, to respond right? You know the drill. You can stand and sing, sit and pray, receive communion, go pray with somebody. Maybe some of us need to go do some confessing and pray with somebody. But first, we're going to have one of our elders, as we've been doing throughout this series, come up. Jude, you can come on up, buddy. And what Jude is going to do is he is going to lead us first in a prayer of sorry and confession together, after which we'll then have a time for us to Let us pray. Thank you for this moment, for this community, for your grace and compassion, God. Be with those in a season of prayerlessness, God. Humble us before you and give us the wisdom to just say, I'm sorry. Keeping our sins a secret is not an option, God. Make confession and penance natural for us. When confronted with our sins, help us not ruin our apologies with excuses. Give us strength, God, because as inconvenient as it seems, we're wrong. We sin all the time, but we're accountable to you. The good news is that our God is gracious, faithful, compassionate, and merciful. In your name we say, amen.